We didn't have a tent. We weren't allowed to use the ground we were intended to use. We didn't have permission from the authorities you needed to, to actually host something like that. So all the way up until we actually made it work, it felt like this is going to fail, this is going to fail, this is going to fail. And then like you stand there the day after the concert and like, we made it work. <laughs> this is Nordic Founders Stories, a show about those from the Nordic countries who took a leap of faith by starting to build something and what went down along the way. I'm Patrick Bates, and on the show today, how Mass Lungstel got to learn the art of building products and companies without taking any of the risk, and how he ultimately used that to found his own venture. So as you probably already know, a lot of companies are built upon a need of some sort that a founder either has or discovers. And the way Mats Lungstel came up with Inspire Me is no different. While working as an account manager at Facebook, a young Matt saw how inefficient all work around advertising with creatives really was. He knew the industry needed something else. So he bought the domain Content Campus and did nothing at all, not initially. Instead, he got to work with other ideas as an entrepreneur for almost three years. And if you don't know what that means, it's like working as an entrepreneur, but without taking any of the risk. So after that, he finally convinced his friend from college, Marie Mulstel, to join him in taking the risk and build what is now a critical infrastructure for influencers to meet and collaborate with brands. As a child, Matt's parents allowed him the freedom to explore his ideas and on his own terms. Well, till he eventually found out how bad the ideas actually were. I really wanted tadpoles because we had that in, I remember, in, in kindergarten and I wanted it at home. Uh, and instead of saying no, <laughs> my dad brought me to a river where you don't find tadpoles. And I was looking for tadpoles for a whole day. And then kind of, I was happy I didn't, or like, I was looking for them and didn't find them, a little bit disappointed, but we gave it a try. And obviously, instead of saying no, he just gave me that experience to look for them, even if we, he was sure we weren't going to be finding anyone. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, that was, um, that was good. Can you describe what kind of student you were? You know, what kind of child, teenager, what, what kind of person were you? I was very much like the teacher's uh, student. So, uh, yeah, I did my homework. I did everything. And I, I remember... Uh, it's not a moment I'm proud of, but like the class was uh, making noise and, and, and the teacher had this like uh, silence symbol. So she would stand up and she would raise her two fingers and like this was the silence uh, symbol. So there was two people in that room making the silence symbol. It was the teacher and it was me standing there in front of the class making the silence symbol. So I was very much a teacher's uh, uh, kid. And, and I think I school and stuff was to me... Uh, something you had to do and you wanted to do it well, but I didn't reflect on why. It was just like expected of me. So so I was, uh, yeah, I got good grades all along, but I never did more than I needed to, to be honest. Like I studied until I knew I had a good grade and then I put the book down. Like it was more a duty than, I guess, pleasure, which, which has changed with my life right now. Like learning is like, you realize how important it is and you, you learn because you enjoy it and not because it's a, it's a duty. What happened next? After I finished uh, school, I I was um, called to join the Norwegian army or to be a 
on the Russian border for a year there. I, I ended up um, breaking my my leg, so uh, my army service uh, didn't go as planned. I spent a year recovering from that and didn't really know what to do. So I wanted to be in the military. I wanted to learn how to be in the woods and that kind of experience. So I did apply for what like is the parachute troops in Norway. So like that's the you you apply, you try to get in. I I went there the the year after, after having recovered my leg and uh, spent three days there before they sent me home because of my leg. And then I was like, okay, I've spent a year now not doing really anything productive. And But luckily I'd applied for some schools. And so two weeks after that, I, I moved to Bergen and uh, started studying uh, economics and, and business administration there. So was business and economics always something you were into and had a passion for? Or? That was super random. <laughs> like I could have... That's the thing, like I could have ended up studying anything, I think. I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't have that target. Like I, I knew I like to build stuff, I like to do stuff. And I also applied for a couple of engineering studies, nanotechnology and, and, and a few more. But I, I realized there quickly when I started studying there that I want to build my own company at some point. And that got me excited and that got me excited in my studies as well, to some degree. Yeah. At what point did you realize that you wanted to start your own company and become an entrepreneur? I don't have this like that date, that's that's when it happened. But I'm pretty sure like the seeds were planted when I started my studies there. It became more clear and, and kind of gradually I was more and more certain that this is what I wanted to, to do. And I was more conscious of my choices post my studies than pre my studies. Can you kind of describe that feeling then? I understand it was a slow progress or growth into that mindset of being an entrepreneur. But can you describe what was going through your head at that time? If you know, you're becoming an entrepreneur in that sense. I guess like I started seeing examples of what others had done and accomplished. And again, like I like building stuff and then it could be physical stuff. Like I could build a house and I would enjoy it quite a lot. So it was like seeing what others had done made me excited. I think like I, I started feeling like this is, uh, I can do this. And I started playing around with some ideas, which were, uh, Silly at the time, I don't even remember all of them, but but I had some ideas and I thought it were good business ideas. But then again, like you, you don't know what you don't know when you're that early in your uh, life and, and career. And uh, I'm not that old now either, but like, yeah, I was, as looking back, I probably had a lot of bad ideas that I'm happy I didn't do anything about, but they started making me excited and I'm easily excited as well. So like I can... If I get a good idea, I can think about that for, for days and, and just pump myself up on it. And, and that's kind of, I had, I guess, a few of those experiences while I studied. Sorry, you had, a, you had a big smile on your face when you were talking about those ideas. Can you share with me one or two of them with us? I didn't have any crazy ideas, just like here and there. And then you read up on and you realize, well, someone had already done this before, like, or it's it's not viable, like you... I think that's in, in general with ideas, like you get yourself super excited about the idea, but like give it some time to see if you're still excited after a while. And then like, if you're still, then, then there might be something there. But if like, it was just a flash, then it probably wasn't meant to, to be uh, acted on. So of course you, you started having these entrepreneurial thoughts and ideas. What happened next during that kind of educational stint that you had? I was very active in the student association and, and that's where I met my co-founder, Maria. Maria and I, we were kind of leading an organization, student organization that every second year built a festival 
So I got to play around with being an entrepreneur without taking any of the risk. We were eight students kind of leading this festival, 25,000 visitors over three weeks. And um, yeah, I, I guess I got like that maybe enforced or yeah, enforced kind of my belief that yeah, I want to build something. I want to build a business because I got to to build that festival for one and a half years and, and it felt like a startup. You got to feel the the both the highs and lows, like the, the pains of failing or being afraid that you're about to fail <laughs> and the highs of like, we pulled through, we got it working. And there's uh, stories from that time is we, um, we booked uh, DJ Tiesto, which was fairly big back in 2012. I guess he is today as well. But we booked him before we really had, like we didn't have a tent. We weren't allowed to use the ground we were intended to use. We didn't have permission from police or from fire or from any of the like authorities you needed to to actually host something like that. So we had signed a contract with Tiesto before we really had a venue. And that's where Marie and I really got to know each other because we kind of getting that in order. Uh, so over two months, we got everything in order and ended up having a fun concert with Tiesto in a circus tent in Norway in March. Um, so yeah, like uh, that felt like all the way up until we actually made it work. It felt like this is going to fail. This is going to fail. This is going to fail. And then like you stand there the day after the concert and like we made it work. <laughs> like this was fun. Like we made it happen. Like we had a lot of people here and a lot of stuff that could go wrong, but we actually made it happen. And uh, I think maybe that's when I like really knew that I want to at some point build something myself or with someone. How did this opportunity land in your lap, as it were? I am, I'm good at saying yes to opportunities. Like, and I think that's uh, like when someone asks me to take part in something, I tend to say yes. And I think that's uh, how I ended up there as well. Like I was part of multiple things in the student association. And then because I said yes, and that kind of accumulated into me getting this opportunity as well. And I often think that, and this of course isn't uh, always true, but but often like the difference between people who have a bit of luck and people who feel like they don't is, did you take the opportunity or not? Like, did you say no or did you say yes when something was put in front of you? And uh, I've just jumped on things and said yes, not always thinking through the consequences. And, and this was, I guess, one of those. I'd said a lot of yes before I ended up, uh, ended up there. Wow. So going on from, from this first kind of um, entrepreneurial experience in the festival. You then went on to the masters and then were offered a place with Facebook. What was going through your mind at you know during this whole process of of getting the role? What was going through your head? It fitted well into what I wanted to do eventually and start my own company. And uh, it was the, probably one of the best decisions I made in my life was starting working at Facebook. That was super awesome time. Like we were in Dublin, pretty much. Like you had a the local Irish uh, people there who were great. And then the rest of us were just expats in our early, mid-20s or up to 30, I guess. Quite young teams who just had fun. So it was like college or, or university all over again, uh, in a way. Can you describe a key moment or experience that has stayed with you and you remember in your time at Facebook? I was 23 when I started there and had my first meeting with the Dentsu, a media agency group, and I was going to kind of tell the, the CEO of that group for the Nordics how to do marketing. <laughs> so you feel pretty much like I, I remember that moment pretty vividly. Uh, you feel like a fraud when you're, you've been in your job for three months. You meet someone that's been in the industry for years and you're like meant to tell them like, this is how 
Facebook thinks you should be doing marketing. So I remember like uh, I was pretty nervous and I started like letting my beard grow out a little bit uh, a couple of weeks uh, beforehand and I put my glasses on and did everything I could to try to look a little bit more mature and, and uh, experienced. And of course, like the what was also stuck with me is like we went uh, quite a few times to San Francisco and visited the head office. And like, like again, for me being that young and, and kind of wanting to start my company, seeing like the headquarter of Facebook and getting to hear Mark and Cheryl like speak and didn't get to talk to them in, in person, like a uh, company was too big. But yeah, it was that was big moments for a uh, for a young Norwegian. Um, really, really uh, going up in the world. What happened next then? So how long were you with Facebook for, by the way? Only one and a half years, because that's when I said yes again. <laughs> so one, uh, actually a customer approached me and asked if I wanted to join their team back in Oslo. It's a company called Venture Factory. So they was, let's call it early days startup uh, ecosystem or startup scene in Norway. So they started in 2012 and tempted to say almost there weren't an ecosystem for startups back then. So they were early trying to build uh, new digital ventures. And the model there was uh, they had raised a little bit of money and, and we were going to kind of build in-house ventures. And that was, again, perfect fit for what I wanted to do in my future. Again, I, I, I can get to kind of build startups in a safe environment where I don't take the risk. I was uh, joined as a marketing director there. Spent three years there, learned a lot. But um, I guess one of the key learnings there was that you need to focus to build something great and valuable. And that was, the, I guess, maybe the fun part, but also like the challenging part there was we tried to do too much at the same time. We tried to like get these new ventures up and running, very different types of lawyer services online to selling like wine cellar accessories online. It was like too spread focus to succeed with everything. And, and uh, that was an uh, important lesson I learned there is, is uh, it's important to focus. But great, like that was, and, and Venture Factory is doing great today. And, and the um, that was three really important years for me because I that's where I really get, for real, got to build, try to build startups um, and um, learn a lot. Yeah. So what would you say was the biggest lesson of those three years? Oh, focus. You need to focus. Time is your the, the biggest constraining factor and, and you only have so many hours uh, you can do productive work in a day. It doesn't help to work around the clock. Your brain is only productive for so, so long. So yeah, focus. You need to spend the time on, on something that, that um, is uh, narrowed down. Um, yeah. Can you remember from those three years, any mistakes or, or big obstacles that were thrown your way that you now can like kind of reflect on? We were almost bankrupt. So that, that was, uh, that was, uh, we, um, we had a rough round there where, yeah, we had spent more money than we, and hadn't, didn't have the, all the results we wanted to, to show for. So that was a rough period, like up until, like it was rougher on the, on the founders than, than me joining in as a, an employee. But um, that was um, rough. Um, what was going through your mind? What, 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 how did you feel during that moment and that time? I felt responsible as well. Like I, I felt a lot of, like I was treated as, as one of the 
partners there and and I felt a lot of responsibility and loyalty even also saying who's just the CEO there he he's been a both great mentor and friend for me then and still so I I felt very much the maybe not as strong as they did but I felt it like this feels really bad I think like um yeah a guilt for like the things that I could have done better in the in the process like uh where I maybe have in in some cases over like spent a little bit more budget than I should have compared to the results on on the marketing side and in retrospective as well like I thought I knew a lot more than I realized today that I knew so like my I probably had assumptions that were uh, wrong and that made us make some bad decisions as well on on how we spent our funds to grow the companies as, and so forth so I you don't want to fail right but we pulled through and 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 everything was fine yeah what happened next we raised funds and we kind of sorted things out and and got things uh narrowed down our focus a little bit and um got more focus on the ideas and the projects that were uh working uh, at the time yeah so onwards from this journey then after that kind of three year period what was the next step in your in your entrepreneurial journey that was inspire me so the company that i'm uh, part of today and running today so inspire me like i didn't realize it until you asked earlier but like uh, <laughs> i guess i was on the blog <laughs> thing already when i studied but in my uh, i guess more official story the the thought here started when i worked at facebook i was account managing brands and, and agencies and uh one of the biggest struggles i had with my customers was that they just took these awful banner ads and kind of placed them on facebook like no one really knew how to make efficient facebook ads at the time so there was a lot of ineffective dollars spent on the wrong creatives so i thought like oh we need to match these brands with the uh, people that are good at creating content for social media that resonates with the the format and the usage of of social media so i actually bought the domain content campus like 2 months after i started that facebook but uh, the idea there was to like build a marketplace where brands can find people who are just good at creating social media content obviously i i didn't do anything about that um at the time except for being excited about the idea and then um a few years later working with with both e-commerce and different digital B2C concepts like I saw how efficient bloggers as they still were called at the time were and that kind of added the dimension of the well content is one thing but actually having people with an audience and distribution as well is valuable and that's how kind of like the whole influencer thing came to my mind and and I was thinking this is a space where there's so much inefficiency and like they, it's it's super efficient to work with them but it's super inefficient or it's super the results are super efficient but it's super inefficient to work with them to get the results so that's when we started inspire me to kind of automate what can be automated in a collaboration with influencers from like the screening to creating the contract to communication and uh, reporting and and payments and and all, all of that all the fluff essentially right yeah all the thing around like get actual marketing message and the the people you're distributing it to so um that's kind of where Marie and I met again as well because she was working in in Boston at the time for a hardware startup there and she was uh, seeing the same like she was creative director there and was looking to find like hipster dads with beard and beanies in in the US and and work with them as influencers to to promote their product and and uh, it really worked when 
they found the right people and then they got it uh, set up, but it was very time consuming. So she kind of had the same, the same uh, ideas going over in the, in, in Boston. So how then did you and Marie, your co-founder kind of meet in the middle then and join forces with Inspire Me? In, in the summer of, uh, 2015, I, uh, decided like, okay, I at least want to play out, like, what can this look like? So I kind of designed the wireframes of what would the initial MVP of, uh, of this platform look like. And I also applied for some like governmental grants to see if I can like, okay, if I get it, I'll, I'll build the MVP and see if it happens. And I didn't get any grants <laughs> and I was annoyed. So I was like, oh shit, I'm going to build it anyway. But you don't want to be or sole founder if you can have the option to have co-founders. A lot of reasons why I believe that, but for then that's when like, okay, I was thinking, who do I want to start a company with? And, and Marie was kind of top of my, my list. So I called her that fall, a little bit nervous, wanted to pitch her this idea and see like, can I get her to move back to Norway for this? Like, there's two sides to this story, I guess. Like from my point of view, like she slaughtered the idea and she was super critical. Her point of view was being constructive. <laughs> so she was constructive and giving constructive feedback. But uh, it ended up me like I, I didn't feel like she was excited enough about the idea. So I didn't ask her to join. Um, but then uh, came Christmas a few months later and uh, she was back in, in Norway for uh, vacation. And we uh, met over a dinner and uh, turns out she was really excited about it and We'd really like to join and, and build this company together. So um, a few months later, she moved back to, to Norway and I uh, quit my job as well. And then we were all in on Inspire Me. What was going through your mind during that kind of phone call or initial reach? <laughs> no, I, I wanted her to be excited though. Like, that's, like I wanted her to think like, this is an awesome idea. I, I wanted that confirmation that I'm not like, this is only in my mind that this is a good idea. Like, I wanted her to be excited so that I could convince her to to join the company as well. Was your co-founder initially closed off to the idea or actually just getting involved and being a co-founder? Which which kind of way was it? Like, I think Marie's always herself wanted to start a company. Like uh, we're very different in many ways, but that's what, where we probably are quite similar. Um, so yeah, she wanted to do the same and uh, the rest is story as, history, as you say. That must have been a great feeling for you, though, that that kind of that dinner you had together where where she kind of had that change in tone. You know, she wanted to to actually work with you and was super excited about it. How did that make you feel? No, excited, right? Like I, I had a co-founder now, like this shit is getting serious. <laughs> like, yeah. Also, I have someone that I know I work well with. Like I've been in the trenches with this person before. Like I've seen Marie at her most stressed and like low moments and and high. And Marie has seen the same with me. So like I know what I'm getting here and she knows what she's getting as well. And I think like six years in, we still have a great working relationships and also great friends outside of work. And I think that's, I don't know, but I think that's actually quite unique. Um yeah, something that I'm quite proud of. Like, it, like we work really well together, and and I'm, I'm not sure how it would, like, if it would be as successful if if I kind of was going to do this with someone that I hadn't worked with before. My uh, venture factory, they invest a little bit of money for me to get this off the ground together with my savings, and then we use their engineering team to kind of build the the first version. But yeah, we didn't have money, <laughs> and and uh, we didn't have the traction or 
anything to raise money. So what we did is we ended up taking a private loan in our names with security in my apartment. And so we loaned 90,000 euros. And that's how we funded ourselves the first 12 months. So from when we went full-time in April, May 2016, till we raised our seed round in April 2017, that was the money we had to live off. This is like the first real leap of faith that you you make in the entrepreneurial world in a sense that now finally the risk is on you. Because you mentioned, yep. you know, in all the ventures you've had before, the risk was never yours. But how did it make you feel now? What was going through your mind to suddenly be the one taking this risk? I, I didn't feel like it was a big risk. Like if I fail, I'll sell my apartment and, and pay back the loan and I'll uh, find a job. Like it depends on your benchmark of risk. And to me, like this didn't feel very risky. So I was just excited and I believed in what we were doing. Like uh, I was just excited like to get started and uh, finally like full time, this is all we're doing. Like we're going to make this work and back to focus again as well, right? Like I'm going to do one, one thing and one thing only now for the next years to make this really work. So was there a particular experience or memory you can think of during that 12 months of hustle? Can you, can you like describe a, a particular time or moment? I guess like one of the highlights and also a very important part of our journey was uh, we, we were accepted into a, a Nordic accelerator with location in Palo Alto. So it's a collaboration between the Norwegian, I believe Swedish and uh, Icelandic uh, innovation authorities. I'm not sure if Finland and uh, Denmark are part of it now, but we were accepted into an accelerator and, and spent two months in, in Palo Alto. And that was uh, both inspiring, but also a sobering uh, experience, uh, I'd say. So as typical for accelerator, we had some mentors, we had a lot of sessions, we were followed up. But we also kind of realized how much work we have to do before this is going anywhere. Like after having been very excited and believing like, okay, we're on the right track. Like you went there and you felt like we're not on the right track for several reasons. Like, well, in Silicon Valley, like the pace and like the the urgent feeling of urgency is so strong. Like you feel like every hour of the day that you're not working, someone else is like moving ahead of you and and, and kind of winning. That sense of urgency was, um, I guess, new to uh, an Norwegian uh, startup. So, so that was kind of, oh shit, we need to move faster. Like we need to speed up. What was also uh, sobering was we were quite uh, confident in our ability to raise money. No track record to be confident, but we we were uh, as we should be, I guess. And But like, yeah, we went into, we had a, quite a lot of investor meetings over there and the recurring topic was like, talk to us when you're making some money. And, and that's the... The sentiment that changed, like, I think the, the years before that, like everything was about user growth in, in Silicon Valley. And then Norway, two years later, everything is about user growth. And then you come there and it's changed. Everything is about like revenue and then recurring revenue. And, and, and uh, yeah, the mindset had changed and we weren't ready for that or we hadn't, uh, didn't have that in order. So we were rejected in every investor meeting at the time. So that was sobering as well. But then again, like we, we felt like we learned a lot and, and kind of we developed a lot in that time and just the mentality we brought with us back home. And uh, it's for good and bad, like that sense of urgency is, is healthy to, to a point, but like as the Nordics have proven over the last uh, 
yeah, let's say 10 years, like you can definitely build valuable and strong companies without needing to feel that urgency as they feel over there, I think. But it helps to feel like uh, there's some urgency to it. So what happened next then after that year of, of hustle we've talked about? What happened between then and now where you are at the moment with Inspire Me? I guess a lot has happened. Like, uh, so, so now we're in, in, in 2022. Our company is six years old. We have uh, scaled our business. We've scaled the team. We have now offices in Oslo, Stockholm, London, and Riga. And um, yeah, kind of looking, how do we, how do we uh, take our company from being quite Norway, Nordic focused to being more international? Uh, yeah, expand geographically. In those years, like it's been a lot of up and those downs. We've had uh, we've had COVID, as uh, you all know, and and that was uh, that was an interesting experience for us and many others. We've been through fundraising rounds. We've been through failed initiatives and and successful ones. Uh, I think like uh, like it's it's um, just as bumpy as I think every or most most startups feel like we we haven't had a smooth journey to where we are today it's been it's been super bumpy like we've made tons of mistakes but hope, like since we're still here we've obviously made more things right than than we've made mistakes but uh um are there any mistakes major mistakes that you can draw on in this journey of inspire me that that are not only shaped who you are now, but you often think about and think, wow, what a moment, what a time in this journey. Yeah, the, the, absolutely. So in the early days, like it's it's so critical to find the right people because if you are a four person team and you're adding a fifth person, that's 20% of the team. And if that doesn't work out, like you're super vulnerable. Like it, one thing is that your 20% of your capacity is not producing necessarily to the degree you'd like it to produce, but it can also like have a very negative effect on the rest of the team. So we could have been even better at kind of on the hiring process. I think we we knew it was important and we knew it was like critical, but still we were kind of a little bit blinded by, we thought we were better at what we were doing than we probably were. So. We made some hires in 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 the early days that, for different reasons, just didn't work out for Inspire Me. And that is especially in the early days. It, it matters still today. We we lost so much time in the early days with like the wrong hires. If you hire a very central person and it turns out to be wrong, like you probably spent maybe six months getting that person in play, and then you spend another three to six months figuring out like this isn't gonna work, and then you're probably gonna add on some time to agree with that person that this is not going to work. And then uh, then you start over again and spend another six months getting a new person in place. So you can lose so much time and money, of course, as well, by doing those kind of mistakes. Like again, COVID was uh, changing in a way. Like that was uh, the, the the two first weeks when the 
Europe shutdown there was uh, the, the two roughest weeks of my journey so far in at Inspire Me. Like, yeah, uh, like I'm quite a positive person. Like, I generally think there's always a solution. Like, you always find a way. Like, I worry, but I don't worry that much. But that's the first time I was like, will we find a solution? Like, how do we solve this? And that was rough because when COVID hit, like we're in marketing, right? And the first money that disappears when a crisis hits is marketing budgets. It's the easiest thing to shut off. So when COVID hit, like contracts were canceled, our pipeline just dried up and we were fundraising at the time as well. So we had runway till summer. COVID hit in mid-March. So we ended up furloughing or temporarily suspending one third of our team. And that's the toughest thing I've done at Inspire Me. Like the team was great. Like the way they handled it, both those that were furloughed and those that um, stayed on and, and kind of kept the, the ship running was like, I'm so impressed. Like uh, almost <laughs> almost get emotional by thinking about it. Like people were really great. Um, but that was a rough time. And and but we saw, we found a way, right? So we got back um Revenue picked up again, again, marketing budgets, the first thing that comes back, we sold funding. Everyone that was uh, was furloughed were back July 1st. So they've been out for, for two and a half, three months. And then we ended up with that 2020 where we grew 140%. So like that was like going from the lowest point of, of, of uh, my time at Inspire Me to ending the year. Like, wow, <laughs> this went really great. What a roller coaster uh, of emotions that is. Yeah, it was. I don't want to do that again. I hope I never have to be in a situation like that again. What was going through your mind during that whole having to furlough your employees, the toughest part of your your career, really? How did you feel? No, like shit. It was, um, you feel like you've uh, disappointed people. Like, you know, it's not like, it's not our fault COVID hit, right? Like, so you can't like put it on yourself, but you still feel like you've disappointed people. And like, um, yeah, that was not fun. I, I, don't, I don't know, like, I was just sad, like sad and frustrated and and um, um, worried, like, will we pull through? Like everything was so blurry at the time as well. Like you couldn't see more than a week ahead kind of like, so you didn't know like, is this going to kind of smooth out in a couple of months or is this going to be like this kind of lockdown for a year and the world is like crazy. So like there was so much um, ambiguity and uncertainty as well, like what's going to happen it was really hard to plan. You just needed to like mitigate risk. That was the only like course of action it felt like. Yeah, quite right. Quite right. It's such, such uncertain times. It was, it was crazy. Um, well, what would you wish you'd done differently? Or is there anything that you wish that you would have done differently? I wish I'd stayed a couple more years at Facebook and then gone to Venture Factory and had the same kind of journeys. I wish, I wish that opportunity came a couple of years later. So I got to be part of that ride longer, but I would never have been without Venture Factory because that's what I feel like hardened me to be able to to actually take the next step uh, for myself. So that's uh, one thing. Uh, I guess I couldn't have done anything differently there, but I wish it had unfolded differently. Again, the I, I always wish I was more focused, as I say, like I, I do. I'm very conscious. I, I strongly believe it's one of the most important things you need to get right to succeed, but I am not the most focused person myself. Like as a character trait, I'm, I can be a little bit all over the place. 
again, it's not done differently, but something I just wish I was better at was giving people like, uh, I, I'm, I'm always on to the next. So like when we achieve something, I'm not good at kind of taking a step back, looking at it. Okay, well, well done, everyone. I'm always on to the next. So I, I could probably like throughout the years that inspire me, I've been better at kind of celebrating when we've actually accomplished a new milestone and so forth. A visionary. Forth. Visionary or impatient or feeling the urgency. I don't know. Like uh, urgency is, is the key. Two here, sides of the maybe. same coin. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, no, good question. Like, yeah, there's there's tons of stuff I could have done differently, but those are the top of mind ones. But also, I mean, from the sounds of it, like you said, some of them without those experiences, you wouldn't have led you to all, you know, with venture, you know, venture future. Was it venture future? Venture factory. Venture factory. Venture factory. With venture yeah. factory, you wouldn't have had the experience that you had, you know, and that hardened you, like you said. So in, in a way it's fate or whatever word you want to call it, these things that when you asked, what have you done differently? Maybe you, you would have been a different person, you know, and not the person that built Inspire Me in a sense. At least it's 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 a combination of slight, a little bit of luck and, and, and taking opportunities as they come. And yeah, I, I, um, I wouldn't have done the big stuff differently. Like I'm happy about those choices. It's the more smaller stuff that I probably could have done differently. But I guess like that's, easy to say like you 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 self-rationalize and you think like you you want to make sense of your your journey as well right so if I was more objective would I have thought differently about it but uh, yeah like you say like I'm colored by my experiences as everyone else and I feel like I've had a good journey so far and I it's all it's all all, uh, just beginning right like I'm I'm still relatively young even if my wife likes to joke with that and I'm getting close to 40 i'm only 33 but she's uh keeps mentioning that i'm soon 40 you know so, um, you no longer need to grow out the beard and wear the glasses to look mature <laughs> no i guess uh starting that's coming more naturally now um what's something people seem to misunderstand about you Matt? uh that's a good question what people um seem to misunderstand about me or do people really just understand yeah. you from the get-go? That that could be no. possible as well. I think um, hmm. maybe um, like I feel sometimes uh, <laughs> that I'm like not empathetic and kind of uh, uh, patient and, and kind of relationship-oriented enough. Like uh, I'm more like. Yeah, I'm I'm not that strong at that, but like so maybe but that doesn't mean I care. Like if 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 you were to ask me what am I most proud about about where Inspire Me is today, I would say what I'm most proud about is the team. Like and I'm I'm not sure if that always comes across as I want it to, like that, that I'm maybe sometimes seem more cynical than I uh, feel that I am. I don't know. Uh maybe that's uh not cynical is not the right word, but more like I don't know. I don't know reserved, how to explain that. Like reserved from the outside, maybe. Yeah, reserved and 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 again, like, don't get that personally involved uh, with with everyone. And uh, yeah, maybe that's mis- misinterpreted sometimes that I don't like care in, in that sense. But uh, I, I I really do. I have one final big question for you, and hopefully it's uh, it's an easier one to answer. But we'll see. 
what's the, maybe the most important thing that you've learned in your life? And I know it's such a big question and there's so many experiences you've had, but what is the most important thing you've learned in your life? And can you describe to me what was life like before learning it? And what was life like after learning it? That is a big question. You love you love the big questions, Mass. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Hmm. One of the most important thing I learned in my life is how exciting it is to learn. Like I feel like I went to like the primary schools and and. And that time learning, as I mentioned, like more like, this is what you have to do. And I never reflected on, I never understood why am I really doing this? Like it was vague. yeah, at some point you need to study and then you need to get a job. I think uh, an inflection point for me, if that's the way to, to put it, is when I realized like learning is probably like the, one of the most important things in life and you don't learn to, to just do your job better or, uh, you, you do that as well, but you learn for yourself. Like it's it's to develop yourself. So like I never spent as much time on learning. I feel like even if I, like you spend a lot of hours in school, like as I've done after my studies, like when I started working, that's when I really start to appreciate learning in a different way and uh, spend a lot of time on books, on, on reading up and, and trying to acquire new knowledge and, and yeah, you realize all the stuff you don't know, right? Like you, you as a 22-year-old Mats, you thought you had figured out the world and then you get a little bit older and you realize like there's so much stuff I didn't even know was out there and you're kind of, the known unknowns grows in quantity and then you realize there's even more unknown unknowns out there. And, and uh, so yeah, learning is maybe like when I finish my studies and realize how fun that is and how much time I spend on it today. And I suppose also reflecting back in your life, you, you never stop learning even after academics and school, right? No, that, that's when I feel like I really started learning in a way. Like, yeah, I feel like the last 10 years has been, in that sense, the most productive years of, of my life. It's a different kind of learning though, isn't it? It's, it's often the hands-on practical side of things. Like when you were thrown into the deep end so many times, uh, like we talked about at Facebook and at Venture and at Inspire Me, these these moments of being in the deep end is, is where you grow the most, no? No, it's it's like you learn you learn in two ways, roughly. Maybe like one is you don't acquire new knowledge by doing. You acquire new knowledge by reflecting what you did and then you practice to make it better. So like one way of learning is reflecting on what you're doing. Like you take a step back and you look at what did I do here and how do I improve that? And then whatever, if you're doing something repetitive, then you become better at it by doing, but acquiring new knowledge is about taking a step back and reflecting on what you're actually doing and then trying to adjust and improve. So that's one way to learn. Another way is to just acquire knowledge from the world, like uh, read books or listen to podcasts or watch YouTube videos, whatever, or have conversations with, with people that are, that, that can, can uh, help give you a new perspective. And with that being said, thank you for listening. I'm Patrick Bates. I do hope you'll revisit the channel. But if you don't, please go build something. <laughs>